0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Idiot's Podcast, that's Infectious Disease Insight of Two Specialists. I'm James, that's Callum, and we're going to tell you everything you need to know about infectious disease. Soon may the editing come to discontinue the Tazo Sun. One day when the CRP's done, we'll take our leave and go. So last week we talked about batter in general, and we talked about treatment. We're now going to talk about resistance in batter, which is a big topic. I've got some great references uh, for this, which I put at the end of the prep notes. But the highlights are that this is absurdly resistant. So about two-thirds of isolates could be considered MDR. I'm not sure by what definition the paper I pulled that from was using, but suffice it to say it's difficult to treat, particularly if you're going by UCAST. Uh, Breakpoints, um, so they don't give you a lot of options. It's very naturally resistant. It's great at living in biofilm, so a bit like you know pseudomonas. You know, it likes colonizing damaged lung or you know, immunologically impaired lung, and then it forms a biofilm, and then it's really difficult to to shift. So, Callum, what kind of beta-lactam resistance uh, do you know about?
1: Well, I've listened to the basics of beta-lactamase inhibitors, and in Acinetobacter, we know very common that they harbor oxa carbapenemases. Why is it called oxa? Because it breaks an oxacillin. The oxa carbapenemases are ambler class D, so go through to ambler, ambling through beta-lactamases. And it, the acetate particularly harbors oxa 2440 and also oxa 23. They can harbor any ambler class, such as class A, which should be your like uh, TAM1 or they can also harbour uh, C, which is like amp C, or D, which is the um, oxus. and they can also acquire metallo beta which is class B. Yeah, it's it's less common though. Yeah, and they tend to favour D,
0: the oxacillinases. Hmm. Um, but yeah, they can they can really acquire anything. Um,
1: yeah. Also, a bit like pseudomonas, they can undergo porin loss, which just. Is a pain. Nice. Um, and then solbactam. So, we talked last week about solbactam being a potential treatment option uh, for more resistant acinetobactors, but it, it can develop resistance by mutating penicillin binding protein free or 1A1B. Yeah. So, those are the prime
0: targets of solbactam. So, it's got a particular affinity for PBP3 and PBP1A and 1B in acinetobacter. Uh, and so you know, a bit like MSSA can become MRSA by swapping out PBP2 uh, for 2A, uh, then so can Asnita batter mutate PBPs uh, in order to uh, create target modification resistance. Uh,
1: if you want a visual representation of this, James put together in the prep notes on a notion a little table which gives you the resistance mechanism and what it confers resistance to. I've summarized other clinically
0: relevant mechanisms sort of in a table, and they're sort of divided into four sections. One's one's porin loss, which is really only affects the beta-lactams. Enzyme modifications, that would be beta-lactamases for beta-lactams, monooxygenases for tetracyclines, and they've got other enzymes which can affect aminoglycosides, quinolones, and sulfonamides. So, you know, sulfamethox the component of co and then there's there's target modification. So if you, you can modify topoisomerase, and that will lead to quinolone resistance, ribosomal protection for tetracyclines, and ribosomal RNA methylation, which is a good way of getting rid of aminoglycosides. And then the other mechanism is, is efflux pumps. And we talked about efflux pumps in a bit more detail in the pseudomonas episode. Uh, so I will not include their definitions here, but you've got... Uh, MATE, M-A-T-E pumps, which uh, do the quinolones, SMR, which do aminoglycosides, MFS, which do aminoglycosides and tetracyclines, but by far and away the broadest in terms of what they throw out of the SLR, uh, R-N-D efflux pumps, which uh, throw out everything, uh, beta-lactams, aminoglycosides, tetracyclines, quinolones, sulfonamides, and polymyxins. So the overproduction of r and flux pumps can lead to kind of global resistance. Very difficult to treat.
1: We should go back and we should do an episode which is just like all resistance mechanisms summarized. Like how do antibiotic resistance happen? Uh, yeah, it could do. Mechanism. Yeah, yeah, good idea. And
0: then below that, I've taken a table from Kiriakidis et al., and that's one of the references down at the bottom, uh, which has a really good summary of all of these resistance uh, mechanisms as well. And that paper is really worth a read. So now we come to the vexed question of crab. Do you like crab, Callum?
1: Yeah, I think the white meat is better than the brown meat. What do you think? Do you like the, do you like the little
0: crab sticks that you can get in the supermarkets, Callum?
1: No, they're they're awful. I hate them. They are awful. Yeah. I tried them once. They were that's, bad. It's not
0: food. But they're not as bad as carbapenem-resistant acinetobacter biomaniae calcoaceticus complex, which is the fourth leading cause of antimicrobial-resistant death worldwide, wow. has a 28-day mortality of more than 45%, and accounts for 60% of all acinetobacter biomaniae calcoaceticus complex cases. So that's bad, right? If, if most of your isolates... Are crab, and its mortality is almost half of all the patients that you culture it in. It's worth giving special consideration to how you're going to treat this because you know if I last week we talked about our uh, things that we had you know reliable breakpoints for, and then we mentioned that really there were only three things that we're really relying on for for lung infection in particular, and that was the quinolones, cotrimoxazole and a carbapenem. Well, if the carbapenem off the table, then you've only got those other two to rely on. And if the organism is MDR, which two-thirds of them are going to be, probably one or both of those are also going to be off the table, and then you're on to the real small fry stuff. Hmm. So I, I think it's worth doing a deep dive on this. So for the rest of this episode, we're just going to talk about the evidence base for crab, in reasonable detail. This is pretty high level. So if you're somehow an F one, <laughs> listening to this, this, you know, is probably way more detail than than you need to know. If you're an early years trainee, this may also be more detail than you need to know. But I think that, particularly for senior years trainees, consultants, and and interested parties, this is really worth getting your head around because this is one of the cases where I think infection doctors can really, really make a difference.
1: Really? Really. Not got that much experience in this field. It's not something that we've had much of a problem with, I think, because of stewardship and infection control practices in Scotland are you know, tight. comparatively good, yeah. I, I think that
0: we're a bit blessed in the UK in general and Scotland in particular. You know, like, for, for all I love, my... Uh, from my home nation, it's not particularly populous. Do you know what I mean? And so I, I think that you're protected a little bit from antimicrobial resistance purely from the fact that there's not a lot of people in you know in Scotland. And neither are there in in NATO South. But I, I have encountered this a couple of times. And it is, you know, important to know what to do about it, particularly if it's in the you know in the lung, because you need to you know, in terms of the PK and PD of the antimicrobial, you need to target both the lung parenchyma, which some of these drugs are good at doing, but also the epithelial lining fluid. You need to be able to penetrate the basement membrane and go into the um, epithelial fluid. And that's not what—that's uh, not something that all the drugs are good at. So aminoglycosides aren't particularly good at. Colistin is crap at it. And so for this reason and this is partially because of a a lack of um, lots of evidence, Combination therapy is usually uh, advised for for crab infections because people don't trust drugs in isolation, the ones that we're going to be talking about. So for this, I I really have to give credit to one paper in particular, which is is Shields et al., Uh, Shields et al., Navigating available treatment options for carbapenem-resistant aspergilloma and Calcoceticus complex infections. It came out in CID in May uh, 2023. It's a really good breakdown, and and I've I've pasted in one of the figures, which is a a timeline of all the CRAB trials that have gone on uh, over the last few years, and then I sort of pulled out relevant sort of statistics, you know, for them because people have been wondering, you know, lots of things about it. Primarily, what the benefit of adding stuff to colistin is, because colistin is really the baseline therapy that people have been using for the past, you know, few decades mm. uh, and whatnot. Because you know, once carbapenems are out of the game, you you really want something that's kind of going to sterilize the um, uh, sterilize the infection. So, we, first, we've got Durantin- but didn't do Mangon- you James
1: say are there last
0: last time that colistin not great at getting into lung. It isn't great at getting into the lung, and, and people know that, but nonetheless, it has remained the standard of care.
1: And do you think that's going to change now that, that we've got some some newer drugs? Um, oh. Maybe you'll come on to this, but I guess if you recall, but... Whatever.
0: Yeah, maybe, um, maybe. uh, Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it, pal. <laughs> okay. okay, I'm jumping ahead. So in 2013, we've got two trials uh, comparing colistin to colistin plus rifampicin. Uh, they're Duranti mangoni and... Ademir uh, et al. Uh, most of them have 28 or 30 day mortality as their primary outcome. Mm. Uh, I, Ademir in, uh, has in-hospital mortality uh, as their primary outcome. Both of them are non-significant with p-values of 0.95 and 0.66 uh, respectively. All of this is in a big table which on the, on the rightmost column has has the reference in case you want to go and, and look at it yourself.
1: adding so vampers into colistin didn't make any difference.
0: No, and not really. And uh, the, the next thing that we tried was the addition of phosphomycin. So uh, we've not mentioned it really in the treatments, and there's no breakpoint for it, but phosphomycin does have some activity in vitro uh, against a bunch of gram-negatives, including... Uh, non fermenters like, like Pseudomonas and, and like Acinetobacter So, uh, and particularly, I think this isn't true in the US, but it is true in Europe. You can give IV fosfomycin. You have to give it as, what is it, the dose calms, eight grams three times a day? I'll look it up. It's a lot of drug, um, but you can do it. And you, we sometimes use it as a hail Mary for difficult to treat gram negative infection. So they tried adding it to colistin, to see what happens, and nothing happened. Uh, you know, fifty-four versus forty-four percent p-value, not point five one for twenty-eight day mortality. Uh, so that's CD uh, 2 fat uh, et al.
1: So this like it's twelve to twenty-four grams and two to three divided doses. Yes, so twenty-four
0: grams would be eight grams three times a yeah, day. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the standard dose.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So you know, that's a lot of drug uh, coming on board. Uh, for no benefits, uh, particularly in this setting. It's a shame. Next, we have a positive trial. So, in 2018, Mossaient et al. in the Iranian Journal of Pharmacology Research I compared Colston with levofloxacin to ampicillin-sulbactam plus levofloxacin. Mortality rates were 82 and 42 percent, respectively. Um, and a p-value of not 0.04. Importantly, this was only in 23 patients. Those, these are really small um, trials with, with not very big numbers.
1: So they got half the mortality rate?
0: <clears throat> they did, and that's a signal that we've seen sort of elsewhere. Uh, the next trial is uh, Kalili et al. in 2018, 28-day mortality. colistin plus Meru versus ampicillin sulbactam plus meru. And as a reminder, this is carbapenem-resistant astinitobactamamanii. And you might be thinking to yourself, why are we adding a carbapenem to a colistin? You were thinking that, no doubt, Callum. Well, yeah, because it's meant to be resistant. Well, the theory was that in vitro, at least, you can detect synergy in carbapenem-resistant isolates when you add colistin. So the the thought was that colistin merrow might have a synergistic kill that meant that even though it was carbapenem resistant, adding meropenem or imipenem cilastatin would still have benefit. And so this was the first sort of test of that and comparing colistin merrow with ampicillin sulbatam and merow. So the you know even though there are two different agents here, the the question is that I think Kalele is trying to answer is, is there a synergistic effect with Caustin that you can detect that you don't find when you give ampicillin sulbatam with meropenem, reminder, the sulbactam is the active antimicrobial there. And you can't, 42 versus 33%, p-value of 0.99, as non-significant as it gets, Callum.
1: Although it's kind of makes you challenge the Mossad paper in 2018 because their comparator arm cost and leofloxin has such a high mortality rate of 82% compared to pretty much every other trial doesn't seem to have as much. So I don't know, it just seems a bit... I've not read the paper, so maybe you can... Well, low
0: numbers, Callum, so I'm not sure that we should comment on it. Okay, okay. It's only important so you know. because it's the only significant one. So. Yeah. Then we have the first of two trials, which are very specifically testing whether a carbapenem added to colistin is significant, is is going to result in improved uh, outcomes. It's the ADA trial. Paul et al. came out in Lancet Infectious Disease. Colistin versus colistin plus marrow. Uh, Wow. 20-day mortality rates, 43 versus 45%. P-value 0.78. Non-significant.
1: That was 406 patients. That's the biggest trial of them lot. That that is
0: by far... The biggest trial that has ever been done in in crab uh, infections, so really definitive, I think. Yeah. But only one trial, and so there's another one that's all but replicating it uh, later on the overcome trial in 2022, which I did the Journal club on actually. Um, that I uh, we're going to discuss, but I'm going chronologically. So, and yes, we've got macris et al. Colston versus Colston plus ampicillin sulbactam. Non significant p value 0.52, only 40 patients though. So, uh, and then poor Hadar et al. Uh, colistin with nebulized colistin versus ampicillin solbatam plus nebulized colistin. Non significant p value 0.27, only 28 patients. But the ampicillin solbatam group, the mortality was 17% versus 38%. So an underpowered study with a sort of interesting signal. And in all of the trials that I've mentioned so far in which Amson-Solbactam was one of the comparators, that arm always has the lower mortality. So people were, you know, thinking about that. Um, The next trial that comes is the Credible CR trial. So this is one of the kefederical trials, the Trojan horse. And in it, it had... Some patients that got uh, that that had carbapenem-resistant Acinetobacter, and they, their their endpoint was kind of end study mortality. And here, usual care, which wasn't defined but almost always involved colistin when you go into the supplementary um, uh, data, versus cefiderocol. Usual care beat the pants off cefiderocol with a mortality of eighteen percent versus forty nine percent, and this was statistically significant with the p-value of 0.04 in 56 patients. What? Very strange. And the authors actually comment on this in the discussion. This is completely at odds with other publications of kephederical in, uh, uh, in MDR uh, infections. And at odds with the in
1: vitro data as well. So
0: they weren't yeah. really sure what to make of this.
1: Also, 80% is a very low mortality compared to a lot of the other arms. Well, it is, yeah. And so they,
0: they sort of mentioned that too, that this is like also at odds. This could be very well be just an aberration.
1: Yes, um, it's a very small number of patients. So just, yeah. Chance, yeah.
0: Although, you know, one of the bigger trials <laughs> in terms of numbers of, you know, for crab. Uh, and then I'm just going to skip over attack and, and get to the overcome, you know. Hang on, I'm just going to change the orientation. That's what I'm going to do. Fine. Uh, and then we've got the Overcome trial in 2022, uh, K et al. Uh, this is uh, Colston plus placebo. So this is a matched placebo versus Colston plus meropenem. It came out in Negem Evidence, one of the new New England Journal. Uh, it's it's an open source uh, NEJM Journal. Numbers of 328, so the second biggest uh, trial uh, for CRAB. Uh, next to ADA, uh, and again, no significant difference: forty-six versus forty-two percent. P-value of zero point uh, two one. Uh, so there's, I-, I think, overcome together with ADA put to bed the idea that adding a carbapenem to colistin does anything uh, for your for your crab uh, infections. So, what are the take-home messages? from this. Firstly, Calm. I would say that the numbers in these trials are tiny. Almost all of them are fewer than 100 patients. And some of them are published in real kind of small fry, kind of regional journals, you know, the Indian Journal of Critical Care Medicine, the Iranian Journal of Pharmacological Research. Um, and, you know, which is not to say that they're not worth working at because at least these people actually had a look at this pretty important. Uh, infection. And then we've got some other, you know, uh, uh, research like th- that's a bit bigger in terms of numbers, like the ADA trial, which came out in Lancet ID, uh, and the uh, Overcome trial, which came out in the Edge of Evidence. The second is that sulbactam containing regimens tend to do better than non solbactam regimens. Uh, and that's a trend almost always non-significant, that's seen across multiple trials, which leads us to think that, or led people to think that celbactin was probably quite a, a good potential target to therapy for um, for uh, CRAB. And the third is that if you add meropenem or rufampicin or phosphomycin to colistin, then it doesn't seem to do anything. You don't get any additional hmm. uh, any additional kill. But people did come back to this and think, well, maybe sulbactam is the thing for us to use, and maybe we should try and marry it up with something else to protect it from uh, from lactamases uh, And so that led to this last trial that we're going to talk about, which just came out late last year, which is called the Attack Trial. It's Altaric et al. It came out in Lancet Infectious Disease. Again, only in uh, it was actually published as a preprint in 2022, but the it was finally published in in May 2023. So this is fairly hot off the presses, but it's been doing the rounds. And there's a, a tweetorial or a tweet summary. I don't know. I I live tweeted this, so it was presented at the World Pharmacology Congress. 2023 in Glasgow and I was lucky enough to be able to go there for a few days. Uh, and so one of the uh, lead authors called Matt Ronsheim uh, was talking about Solbactam, um for uh, CRAB. And, you know, like what, you know, why did they set up this uh, trial? Well, uh, CRAB has actually been listed by the CDC as as one of the six most troubling organisms uh, to Uh, to worry about in the future and uh, so that you can not sleep at night, loyal listeners. The other five are VRE, CPE, MRSA, ESBL and difficult to treat pseudomonas all of which certainly cause me to have some restless nights. Um, Crab itself has a 50% mortality. There is not much consensus on what the ideal treatment is which you'll see in a sec when we talk about the SMID and IDSA uh, DTR guidance. And that led to the development of sulbactam with Darlobactam. So derlobactam is a beta lactamase inhibitor with activity against ambler A, C, and D, but not class B, so the metallo lactamases uh, But in particular, they're really good at inhibiting class D, and that's good because acne has mostly, you know, class D. So they they started working on the, the drug companies started working on this product. They eventually you know, got a license as Duro. That's the uh, trade name. Uh, but we'll call it solbatum durlabactam uh, Thank you very much. And so the, firstly, they sort of uh, put out a sort of neutropenic mouse thigh model, which is a sort of in vitro uh, or in vivo uh, model, kind of showing kind of improved two-log kill. So uh, that would be a 100-fold reduction uh, with solbatum durlabactam compared to Colistin as the as the reference standard. And then they they did a sort of enhanced phase one, two, and then they did a phase three well-designed uh, trial that had a hard outcome of 28 day mortality. And they did it everywhere. They did it in 16 countries, 59 separate sites. They did it in Southeast Asia. They did it in the EU. They did it in South America and they did it in the USA and Mexico. So they had lots and lots of different places, which kind of, is good for generalizability. Uh, and they were looking at colistin plus imipenem versus Solbactam-Durlabactam plus imipenem. So they still had this carbapenem back, backbone uh, that they were working to. But I think for the reasons I've said previously, the, the ADA and Overcome trial can make me fairly confident that there's no treatment benefit that could be attributed to uh, to imipenem. Uh, here. Um, so why do you
1: think they put Imipenem in?
0: Because uh, Overcome hadn't been uh, published at the time right. that they were running this trial okay, and Ada sense. had only just in fact I think maybe Ada came out after their study protocol had being published but don't yeah. quote me on that Cal um, That makes sense. That came up in the questions but I didn't write it down but you know questions that people were asking this guy afterwards were why did you include carbapenem?" because it kind of seems obvious now
1: but, yeah, everything looks yeah.
0: obvious under the
1: retrospectoscope.
0: Well, exactly, and and ADA was only published five years ago, and these kind of trials, you know, they take ages to yeah. to cook up, and so the trial protocol gets locked in early. So I'm not surprised that they included it. I don't think that it really makes that much of a difference. But then, you know, what was the primary endpoint? The primary endpoint was 28 year mortality, and it was 32 percent in the the imipenem arm versus 19 percent in the uh, sulbactin arm. Uh they didn't posit a p-value uh, but they had confidence interval treatment difference of 13.2, minus 13.2% with a confidence interval of negative 30 to 3.5 which met their non-inferiority criteria, this was a non-inf trial this wasn't a superiority trial so even though this is crossing zero that, that's good in this case if you see what I mean so yeah, and then they they've included some other in it, this is in the the tweet that we're going to include a link to in the in the show notes that I put out there, kind of looking at various secondary uh, endpoints in both the ITT and the and the MIT modified ITT uh, population, 14day tw- asthnetobacter specific uh, mortality and 20day all cause mortality. And again, there's no significant difference there uh, between the two. In terms of clinical cure rates, um, they were uh, higher in the sulbatum, derlobatom arm with 62% versus 40% in the colistin arm. And in terms of safety signals, there was, you know, it, it was reasonably well tolerated. Um, there was lower nephrotoxicity with the colston uh, than colistin, which I'm sure will surprise nobody. And the adverse reactions that you saw were kind of abnormalities of the LFTs, so not liver failure, but kind of, you know, AST and ANT are going up, diarrhea, uh, anemia, and a low potassium. Hmm. And this is kind of similar to other beta-lactam, beta-lactamase, inhibitor, uh, combinations, your TASIS and your, your chromoxic labs, napsil and sulbactam, obviously.
1: So do you think that the attack trial, you know, do you think it would be, we just use durobactam, sulbactam on its own and we don't add a carbapenem? I I don't think that,
0: based on all that other trial data, that the use of a for CRAB is justified. I mean, I have my problems with synergy in, in general. I think it's a, um in vitro phenomenon with very little, if any, in vivo uh, yeah. evidence. And it's another thing that we're going to have to do a deep dive in later and on. And
1: do you think someone needs to trial colistin plus solbatum darlobactin? You know, because all the trials have been using colistin and... You know, the, the combination has been with a chiropractor. That would that would be interesting. So I think colistin
0: versus colistin plus solbatum derlobatum versus solbatum Derlobatam would be a really interesting study uh, to run. I'm not sure if the drug company would be all that interested in, in doing it, but, you know, maybe. Hmm. I-, I think at the moment they've got some pretty good evidence that solbatum derlobactam is superior to the current standard of care. Yeah, uh, for crab, which is colistin, and all the other kind of evidence is that the previous thing that was likely to be better than than uh, uh, colistin was ampicillin-sulbactam, and so the sulbactam is the important bit there. So if you protect that with a really broad spectrum second generation beta inhibitor, ideally you should get improved asked me to bat or kill and that's what they seem to have found
1: there you know hmm. yeah so that's not really in depth look for the evidence base i'm not sure i'm going to remember that but i'm going to come back to that table in the prep notes and and uh, use it um, if i have cases to manage
0: well i mean luckily callum smid and idsa have your back because well, you don't oh, need yes. to remember all that yes so yeah.
1: we mentioned that we went through the guidelines the IDSA and ECMID guidance about difficult to treat gram negatives, and well, we
0: did. Although, in you know, importantly, we we left out the non fermenters, yeah, and we were going to talk about them during the relative episodes. So the those episodes murdering MDR. That's now. Hey, that's now. Which we'll have to update actually, because um, the IDSA brought out their revised 2023 guidance. Uh, there is a recent febrile episode on that, by the way, for those that are interested. But yeah, the esmid and idsa also include recommendations for a crab uh, which we'll talk about here
1: yeah so um i guess they they split it up into or we can split it up into like a hap vap situation and then severe high risk infection yeah well let's talk about the hap vap first so what do esmid advise well they're saying monotherapy and they say if it's solbactin sensitive and there's some issues about how you test sensitivity to solbactum. Um If it's Zolbactam sensitive, you use Zolbactam monotherapy, mm-hmm. and if it's Zolbactam resistant, you use tigecycline high dose. So that, would that be 100 twice daily? Is that the high I dose? I
0: think so. It's whatever dose went head to head with imipenem for IEI and came out non-inferior.
1: Or or polymyxin, so Colson.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting recommendation, Callum, because if you have a look at my table, you know, in which I try and sort of list the breakpoints, you will see that for cycle there is no formal yeah. uh, <laughs> breakpoint uh, but you cast list the mic90 of, of of 2 to 8 uh, and say, you know just try and get above that uh, or below that uh, so why do you that and not just give a breakpoint well asmid don't tell you cast what to do though so we're, we're we're talking about recommendations from different organizations that aren't joined up
1: yeah they're it's closely. But
0: but if you're in the UK, it's difficult to get a hold of sulbactam, and there are no breakpoints for ticocycline. So you're sort of driven inexorably towards using a polymixin to using yeah. colistin And I if, if ticacyclin was, was not
1: available, quote unquote sensitive against no breakpoint, then I think I'd probably rather use ticacyclin. There's much less toxicity and in, in other areas where you trial it it's sort of better agent than polymixin, and we know that polymixin doesn't tend to get into lung tissue that well so but i mean you're out of luck callum
0: because that's the only game in town so that that's Esmond's recommendation idc don't have a specific recommendation for that they they just talk about severe or high risk infection and both of the organizations recommend a combination of two agents And for
1: so the main, wait so, so, so HapVap, ECMED are saying monotherapy. IDSA are saying always use combination therapy. They're, yes. they're not giving any recommendation to give monotherapy and So I wonder the, why EKMED EskMid are saying monotherapy and hat vap.
0: I don't really know. I'm not really sure that I'm comfortable giving monotherapy. You know, you usually when we recommend giving combination therapy is because the evidence base is crap and you want, you know, a double cover, you know, just in case yeah. something fails so, and where we've looked at it in detail, like there, there was a trend for giving double therapy for Staph aureus ages ago. And then there was a few studies that said this is probably not doing anything except creating toxicity. And we stopped. And so too with Pseudomonas double cover, there's more and more evidence that, that it's not adding yeah. anything. Yeah.
1: I think there's, there's multiple reasons to give multiple agents.
0: Yeah, but, well, I think
1: one of the reasons is that you don't have evidence, and I think that's the case. Yeah, here. you're just not sure one of them are working. Or maybe there's three reasons. One is not enough evidence, you're not sure which one's going to work, if any. Another reason is, supposed synergy, and I think that is generally going out the window in mm. situations. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the third one is, you know, empirical cover before you get sensitivity. So I quite often do that to Pseudomonas. If, you're, if they're quite unwell, I don't know. Like, often, you know, who knows, it'll be resistant to Piptas or gent or meropenem
0: yeah um, and, I, and i think particularly with the non-fermenters double covering up front and then rolling back i think that's perfectly justifiable yeah. and i'm not sure with that neat about how we'd ever
1: roll back yeah so so ecumen are saying for severe high risk combination two of solbactum polymixin, colistin, high dose ticocyclin aminoglycosides or extended infusion meropenem at six grams per day if the mic is less than eight so sort of Resistant lower level,
0: yeah. So, this is, I mean, this is kind of coming back to uh, Vin explained this in excellent plain English in the micro male collab episode that we had Bugs Without Borders, yeah. But essentially, if you've got you you can have sort of low level resistance meropenem, so the S breakpoint for meropenem is two and the R breakpoint is, is eight, except mm-hmm. in meningitis when it is uh. Too, but we're not really talking about meningitis here. So, for the if the organism is meropenem I, you know, can you still use carbapenem? Espen say yes, as long as you give, you know, two grams three times a day, which each dose being infused over three hours, the extended infusion protocol. Mm-hmm. So, if you think if you're giving it three times a day for three hours, that's nine hours out of twenty-four. On meropenem, really, you can only do that through central line in intensive care. So that's your patient population that you're talking about there.
1: So it's given, it's not saying you must use one of the; it's just a combination of any of the two. IDSA, any two, yeah. IDC in contrast say use sulbactam at six to nine grams per day, regardless of sensitivity. Yeah, and, and that's then, because there's. I, I didn't really get into this in
0: detail, but there's issues with testing for sulbactam sensitivity, and so even if it's sulbactam R. You can't really trust that recommendation. And so, for that reason, they say give it, but give something else too.
1: So, it's interesting. So, ECMID are saying it's not necessarily solvactin backbone, it's just two drugs. IDSA are saying solvactin backbone for every patient, HAP, VAP, or anything else, plus one of polymixin uh, or high dose tigacycline or minocycline and cefiderocol, mm-hmm. which they say is the last resort, Trojan horse. Yeah. So, um...
0: so they're they're um, worried by the credible CR trial results, and so although it's got in vitro, you know, sensitivity and and about ninety seven percent of isolates are, are sensitive in vitro, they they're a bit worried about that, and so they say, yeah, fair enough, let's let's not use that unless we absolutely have to. Yeah, and I mean, at least they're making a recommendation. Like the experts are not recommending cefiderocol at
1: all. Yeah, and I think I think often guidelines, you know, there's what's ideal, and you're often saying like this is what's ideal, but there's not enough evidence. It's it's you know, it's kind of unhelpful sometimes to just be like, we're not going to make a recommendation about this because this is a group of experts who've sat down and really in depth read for the the literature. And if you're you know busy a weekend and you're trying to help someone, you know, I think it's at least saying like, okay, well. You know, it's not ideal, but maybe you can try this. Who knows if it's going to work? But, like, mm. you know, at least give people a little bit of, of help to when when you get into the real back-against-the-wall uh, situations or crabs where you're really not got any options. Well, I mean, I think it's really easy to get into that
0: situation as well, particularly with this organism. Uh But, yeah. And the, and then in terms of what the organi- societies don't recommend, both of them don't recommend rifampicin uh, or phosphomycin or extended infusion carbapenems. Except with ESPED, they say that if the MIC is less than 8, you can try it, as we said before. And ESPED don't recommend, they recommend uh, against kefederacol, whereas IDSA say you can use it as a last resort. So they give you the option still, but they say not unless you have to. And then the only other thing to say is that the, ESPID don't make any recommendation about nebulized antibiotics. So there was that trial on nebulized colistin. And the IDSA specifically say we don't advise mm. using nebulized antibiotics. So uh, not very convincing. I, I don't think it's very convincing evidence that nebulized antibiotics work for the, in this situation. So neither organization are particularly keen on using that.
1: Wow. Well, I feel like there's something I really knew very little about, and I'm not sure I'm going to memorize all that, but I certainly have a better understanding. I think some key take homes from me there was that Acinetobacter is a really troublesome organism to treat. It can easily pick up resistance mechanisms. It's likely to have class D ambler, so OXA. There's been quite a lot of trials done looking to try and figure out what's better than colistin, and Possibly solbactum and erlobactam is, is the future, but I think probably need a bit more evidence before we're saying that empirically. And the ECMID and IDSA guidance are useful, but they're only as useful as the evidence base, which they're based on. So we're really still in a situation where we don't have many options and combination therapy is probably here to stay.
0: Yeah. I think, well, I don't, I'm not sure that it's here to stay. In the long term, I think that we will get better at sort of... You're just staying these... for now. Fine. It's here to stay temporarily. It's, it's the Airbnb. Fine. It's the Airbnb of antimicrobial recommendations.
1: Yeah.
0: The thing about this evidence base is that although it's, you know, we've spent a lot of time going over it, we've been able to summarize it basically within half an hour. It's not big. It's not deep. If you tried to do this with, you know, any cardiovascular... <laughs> <laughs> uh, area you want to look at, you would be stuck for days on you know the nuances. Yeah. Uh, of and then you'd the, fall asleep for sure. But then the 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 take-home messages I think are, are as you said that carbapenems and, and some other agents basically don't add very much and that if you had a preference then using a Solbactam containing regimen would be ideal. I'd I'd be surprised if Solbactam Durlabactam didn't get a license in the next little while. In fact, oh. I think Callum, it's a pretty good candidate for
1: um, well, the subscription model for the Netflix
0: model. Yeah, for subscribing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so just like Kefedera called the Trojan horse, and just like Keftasdin Avabactam, uh, which you can combine with astreanam to form a pretty good uh, antimicrobial combination. I think solbactam, dermobactam on subscription would be an ideal way to uh, to deal with these kind of crab infections because everything else is available. Yeah. Do you know polymyxins, tigecycline, minocycline, yeah, cefiderocol, yeah, aminoglycosides, yeah, extended infusion marrow, you can pick your choose and you can yeah. form a concoction out of all that, borrowing from both ESMID and IDSA guidance so you can sort of kind of go between the uh, the two to create a regimen that's that's kind of optimizing your patient's chance of cure.
1: Great. Well, yeah. thanks very much, Jane, for going through that in such detail, presenting it. And, uh, oh, it's a sigh of relief. It's a <laughs> mammoth work, like, it's so well presented. And the tables are, like, amazing, really visual representations. So if you haven't looked at the show notes already, then have a look. I think you'll find it useful, and I'm going to certainly be coming back to it whenever someone phones me about Acinetobacter. So thanks. No problem. It's It's
0: sort of, you know, built to be a reference for... Uh, you know the for the loyal listeners but yeah so I mean hopefully somebody will find it uh, useful t'was a labour of love Callum as is all your work thank you Save the date. The BIA are having a Dilemmas Day on the 24th of January 2024 in Newcastle. This is uh, going to be on the theme of transplant infections. More details to come.
1: Thank you for listening to the Idiots Podcast, the UK's premier infectious disease podcast. We are supported by the British Infection Association, but they do not have creative control over the episode content, so please don't blame them if we get something wrong.
0: Questions, comments, suggestions? Why don't you send them in to idiotspodcasting at gmail.com. Have a five-star review in your pocket? Callum and I would love to have it. Please drop it in your podcast player of choice. We tweet at idiots underscore pod, and if you want to donate to support the show, there's a link to do so in the description. But until next time, I'm Jane. I'm Callum. See you then.
1: Now that the episode's
0: done, we hope you learned and had lots of fun. So go forth and treat people with some of what you now know.